Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and the very first week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode of 2022. To fight my brain, I wanted to say 21 there, but uh, thankfully I didn't. This is my favorite show that I do each week. We have Q&A shows, we have driver and team owner and you name it, interview shows. We do all kinds of things. This is the one that I love the most because it's just a straight you and I. And for those who are listening for the first time, welcome. For those who've been listening since this debuted, I never remember. End of 2016, I think, Robin Miller and I. Sounds about right. Uh, thanks for playing along. A little new intro music here. The last one I used for, I think, two years. Uh, I think this is our fourth different uh piece of intro music i've had this one for a couple years was actually searching for something new just now just before we started recording what time is it here uh lord uh 5 50 p.m on a monday and just started searching and something that i own came up i think the fifth or sixth option and i'm like yeah this is it this is the kind of funky groovy something that's right for me. So I hope you like it. I don't know what you're going to hear at the end. I don't know if I'm going to use the same intro as the outro or keep the old one, which I kind of like, which had the rocking out bit, the little crescendo. So we'll find out when we get there. Once more, a massive thank you to Cooper Tires joining us yet again. The Justice Brothers are back yet again in torontomotorsports.com yet again. Some of you might have seen I mentioned on social media, I don't know, maybe last week, that it means something to me to know that while it seems like in the world of IndyCar, there are many teams, many cars that have brand new sponsors every year, maybe last a year or two or three, I think we're now year four plus uh, of having the same partners with us and this is not just me trying to blow smoke. They come back because of you. Like the fact that you support what they do, whether you buy Cooper tires, whether you buy justice brothers, automotive chemicals and lubricants or the racing memorabilia and fun, you'll find at torontomotorsports.com. They're here because you support them. And they also like the community that we continue to build all kind of wrapped around this very informal, started on their own group called the Prue Day, the listener group Prue Day. So a bunch of folks who have a lot of fun, bench race, get to know each other, each other's families. Uh, sometimes we have members who get together and go to races, go camping, all kinds of fun. If you have an interest in joining, just reach out to me. I'm not a part of the group, but I can connect you with those who are. So reach out to me, Facebook, uh, Marshall Pruitt there, Twitter at Marshall Pruitt or Instagram Marshall.Pruitt. So there's all that. And if you'd rather go the baby easiest way, MarshallPruittPodcast.com on our contact page. So big thanks to all y'all. The fact that we do have a growing group is it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, I, I take great pride in all of y'all who listen, who send in questions and just really are ride or die for IndyCar. So there's that little bit. I'm taking a sip of coffee, which I really shouldn't, but I am drinking it out of my new day cup. Um, yes, yes, I am. So 
Other quick things I can tell you. Mentioned that we had a, a really good week off last week. Wife and I stayed in, did nothing, complete bums. It's the best gift an adult can give themselves. A low responsibility to no responsibility. Stay home vacation. Honestly, uh, if you're exhausted, uh, it, it is the best thing. One of the items that I did over that break, and I hope to have it ready in the coming weeks, is work with my awesome web designer, John. And we're actually converting my MarshallPruitt.com site that he built for me, I don't know, like a decade ago? However long ago. Long time ago. Um, converting that into a photo gallery and photo sales site. So once we're done here, going to spend a little bit of time finishing up the racer mailbag for Wednesday. Then I'm going to spend some time uh, editing some photos and doing some other things that hopefully uh, we'll see the light of day before long and really happy with what's going on there. Going to put in as much IndyCar content as I can. And yeah, look forward to y'all seeing that. Got a couple new stickers coming. Uh, 1992 we're celebrating the what 30th anniversary of alan sir jr's win in the 92 galmer chevy use that as the little show promo today and got a lot of fun response from that got a question or two about the galmer uh, coming up here maybe my favorite thing is my friend alan mertens who designed it he's the mer in gal mer uh sent me a photo apparently he already printed out that little super low resolution graphic that I posted and uh, used a thumbtack and put that right in front of himself on his desk. So I said, all right, brother, we're going to get you covered off here properly. Once I get some stickers that arrive in about a week, I'll get some of those over to you. And although we've done, I think, one podcast talking about the uh, the Galmer, the Indy winning Galmer, we're going to do another one, maybe go even deeper on that. So that should be fun. Got another new promo, new Show promo sticker cartoon from Roger Warwick. That being for the weekend sports cars, that should be arriving at the same time. And I've got those Robin Miller. Uh, I don't have any hobbies, etc., etc. And I'm an a-hole stickers. So I get all the uh, the new show stickers that arrive. I'll put all three of those up, and uh, those will be available on the merchandise page on MarshallPruittPodcast.com. So some new stuff there. Last quick thing for you. A couple of your questions are great, and I'll, I'll mention them by name when I get to them, but I'm going to table a few until next week, just because today is still a holiday for a lot of folks. Some of the answers that i hoping to get back that would then be able to allow me to answer your questions, uh, those aren't here yet. So hopefully by next week, that's what we will get into. All right, a little bit of new music bed as we uh, get moving here. Uh, there's a lot more to talk about, but I need to uh, get my, my night going once we can wrap up here. So thanks once more to Jim Kaiser, who puts together our questions each week. And glad to hear that his recent knee surgery, uh, while obviously not fun, has led to improved, not perfect, but improved mobility. And uh, our man Jim is continuing to uh, make good progress there. We're going to kick things off with the Spannerer from Reddit. I love Reddit screen names. The Spannerer, he or she, says, Hi, Marshall. 
Hope you and your family are well. So my question is that I saw in your latest Silly Season article that you expect Alexander Rossi to go to the number 48 Honda at Ganassi next year. Uh, the Spannerer asks, is Napa his sponsor or is that Andretti's sponsor? Uh, and is the Penske offer from a few years ago dead in the water due to him being a Honda favorite? Great questions. Uh, don't know if I said I expect Rossi to go there. I know that I said that I heard from a couple folks who said they expect them to go there. But if I'm looking at the obvious places, we would have to say Aaron McLaren SP, Chip Ganassi Racing, and Team Penske. Little tiny rewind. It was a little bit of a contentious answer, but I've been told by I've lost track of how many people uh, that Alexander will not be returning to Andretti. When I asked him, he said that's absolutely not the case. Uh, nothing precluding him from going back. I would not disagree with what he said, would not say he's wrong, obviously, if that's what the man says. I'd take that at face value. Also, no, because I have folks call me and I call them and we talk, and a lot of it, most of it's way super off the record. As you would expect, someone who is going into free agency at the end of 2022, someone like Alexander, would be silly to just sit and wait, then finish the season, and then start calling around. So I can say with 100% uh, assurity, assuredness, one of those two, whichever is a correct actual English word, that yes, there are slash have been, and I'm sure will continue to be conversations with teams other than Andretti Autosport about whether he might drive for them starting in 2023. Uh, the bigger question back related to Ganassi here is I've had, I don't want to say as many, but I've had a, a fair number of real people, solid people say, hey, we don't know if Jimmy is going to be back for another full season in the 48 car after 2022 going full season for the first time is that going to be his first and last at a number of folks suggest it might be kind of the the last hurrah in terms of jimmy doing a full season of racing and that's where the whole well who might we slot into that car knowing that carvana has been a very active and serious sponsor of the car of the, uh, I guess, series, I could almost say, through their advertisements, through their TV commercials, they've invested heavily. Couldn't tell you if Jimmy's deal is tied to them, meaning if he decides to retire, only do the Indy 500, whatever, that Carvana goes with him or leaves with him and is done. Would just say here, again, of the things you hear, that there's a pretty strong desire, as you might expect, to keep Carvana beyond 2022, whether it's with Jimmy or another driver like an Alexander Rossi or some others who could be available, uh, that's the primary goal there. We know for sure that Aaron McLaren SP is meant to go to three full-time cars starting in 2023. Will they need one driver? Will they need two? Could they need three? I don't know how many drivers they will need, but I would say Alexander would certainly be someone that a, uh, an enterprising team like Air McLaren SP would take a serious look at. On the Penske side, 
can't tell you where exactly things are going to fall, whether they might be looking for one driver, two, zero. Could they expand back to four? Uh, again, more question marks here than elsewhere within the paddock. As for the Penske, the offer from a few years ago, again, I would just table that. If anything were to happen with Penske, I would suggest it would be a brand new thing. Whatever interest is held in Alexander, and there should be a lot of interest held in him, is based off of past performances. I know if we want to get specific, obviously we haven't been racing, so there's no ability to do current or future, but I'm more referring to the Alexander Rossi who was kicking a lot of behind and challenging for the championship through 2019. That's the person that interests all the major teams that might want to hire him or if we're talking Andretti, if it's an option to hold on to him. Knowing that we haven't seen those results for two seasons now, I would say that before a highly performance-oriented Penske, Ganassi, Aero McLaren SP, etc. were to put a contract on the table, they would probably want to get into the 2022 season to see if the guy that they know can kick butt, the guy that they know that can be on pole, can run away and hide, if they see that guy again. If they don't, if that person... That opportunity, that car setup, that good luck, all the things that have conspired against the last two seasons being rock solid for Alexander. If there's any delay in that, that's where the question comes in going forward. Uh, Knowing that the silly season is kicking off seemingly earlier every year, I'd say around Detroit, right? I'd say getting out of the month of May going to be a pretty big indicator as to which drivers are being sought after and which ones are being looked at as yesterday's news whether it's alexander or felix rosenquist or run down the list of those who are free agents and looking for new contracts same team or different teams uh, i would say that knowing how important the indy 500 is knowing the sample size with natural terrain road courses beforehand, street circuits beforehand as well. We're going to get to go to Texas Motor Speedway too. All this, by the time we get through the Indy 500, I think most teams that are looking are going to have a really solid answer as to whether uh, the Rossies and Rosenqvists and whomevers are uh, still on their, uh, their short list or move straight to the top and are getting bombarded with uh, requests for interviews and potential deal-making. So as for Napa, that sponsor would be signed to the team. Uh, So yeah, uh, unless Napa's deal is up at the end of the year and he chose to go somewhere else and they chose to go with him, uh, I would say this is something where Andretti... Autosport would expect it to be the one in control of that. Chris Kaufman, related here, says, hope you enjoyed your time off. I did. I need to do more of that, by the way. Like, I really do. So if I start to sound like I need it, send me a note. I'm serious. And I'm not putting this all on you, Chris. Anyone else, send me a note. Say, hey, Pruitt. 
sounding like you're a little ragged there, man. Oil pressure's low. Sounds like you're going to blow. I maybe need to take a break. Um, You ask here, uh, what does it mean to be an HPD or Honda driver? Like what Alexander Rossi is. Says, did they get more money uh, as part of the contract paid by HPD? Or is it the opportunities away from IndyCar racing like Alex has taken advantage of? Another great question. Don't have all the answers to it, nor would this be one where all of the answers would be divulged necessarily. Uh, I can share a couple things that I've heard, and it's not necessarily specific to Alexander, but heard a couple things. Keep in mind that Honda slash HPD slash Acura is also involved in GT racing, uh, involved in prototype racing. Obviously, we see their, their Baja effort they are involved in many forms of racing. Have a limited number, though, of, quote, factory-type drivers. I know it's not something they particularly like to discuss or have discussed, but so goes the world. I've heard that there's a desire, it may be just budget-minded, not performance-minded, but budget-minded, to reduce the number of Honda works affiliated paid drivers. Does that mean IndyCar only? Does that mean IMSA? Does that mean wherever else? Couldn't tell you. Don't know. I do know that I've heard more than once that there is a, a strong desire to make the salaries of those who drive and represent that H badge, uh, the responsibility of the teams. Do I think there's still going to be a couple? Yes. Would a Colton Herta not be directly affiliated to HPD? I can't imagine that's going to happen. Scott Dixon, same. I would absolutely imagine that there is uh, some sort of something there. I know there was for the longest time. Alexander as well. I don't know if he still is. I hope he still is. Uh, but I think the... Getting more than, I don't think you'd be able to use all the fingers on your hand in terms of drivers who are truly full factory Acura slash Honda slash HPD uh, folks. What does it mean? What do they do? What do they get? They get money, I got to believe. But as I've understood most scenarios, Chris, we're talking personal services type stuff. I think that's the, the way that the relationship is most easily presented and signed off on so whether it's doing commercials internal commercials right these may or may not be things you see in your television but marketing internal stuff could be what it could be video could be a print could be whatever could be visits to whether it's a production plant or corporation or here or there you're kind of a internal ambassador use you hey you're going to the boat show to help promote the new line of Honda offshore motors. It could be a variety of things like that. Could be testing, track testing, road cars, race cars. Um, a lot of different things it could be. So also you'd have to look at and say, okay, so if there are opportunities in other series, like Alexander doing and winning his class, at Baja. I mean, that's obviously a Honda slash HPD thing. 
uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, would also say that you start to look at where certain drivers may or may not pop up at some sports car endurance races, uh, maybe Le Mans in the future. Would it be a total surprise to see a Colton Herta in an Acura LMDH when those arrive in 2023? Would it be a total surprise to see him at Le Mans with an Acura factory team? Not at all. So, again, no, it's a variety of things that offered here, Chris, but I, I think, I hope, I covered most bases. All right, we're moving to one of my favorite things on this show, and that is first-time question submitter. Comes from G-Man1647 on the good old Reddits. It's a little bit of a long question, but that's okay. We, uh, we allow that for the first submission from a first-time submitter. After that, we try to cut it down a little bit. Uh, G-Man1647 says, uh, first time asking a question, but before I do, since I absolutely love the interview with Beth Peretta uh, that I just got around to listening to as someone who has a child with significant special needs and a wife who just defeated breast cancer. Ah, oh, please give us all, or please give her all of our love. Good Lord. Uh, says her life experience resonated deeply. Uh, says the part in which she discovered why she wasn't on the grid at Indy prior to this year was incredibly moving as well. Uh, says, thanks for the interview. Uh, my question, motorsports is ridiculously exclusive as it is so costly. The so barrier to entry is too high for people in middle and lower income brackets. I'm going to replace a word you use in this next sentence. Uh, this is with a desire to uh, increase representation for people of color and women. What Peretta and Force India are doing is awesome, but most people aren't in a position to make that sort of financial commitment. So I really enjoy sim racing, and while it can be expensive, you can get into it for a few hundred bucks. So with sims continuing to improve, and examples of real-life drivers using retail sims, even some sim drivers transitioning to full-time paid racing, would an initiative to get sim racing software and equipment into middle and high schools be a path to expanding the sport's reach, maybe finding more drivers from more socioeconomic and diverse backgrounds. Uh, says, loves the show, good thoughts and prayers, uh, me being a caregiver as well, uh, to your wife. Also says, uh, as cats say hello to my cats, and happy new year. Well, it's a wonderful first submission here, G-Man 1647. So happy to hear about your wife uh, defeating breast cancer, so... We hope to join you in that category before too long. Let's see. I do love anything that gets younger, you know, kids, true kids, middle and high school, as you mentioned, uh, into sim racing. I don't know if that's something the average school would support unless there was a serious STEM initiative packaged with it. Um, kind of the same reason why most schools push back at, uh, any other major sports, um, brands, whatever, trying to intrude upon their classes. But I think it's a great idea. Culturally, this is the place where you want to talk about open borders. If we talk about who, from a historical standpoint, has followed racing 
by the most numbers and passed it down from generation to generation to folks that look like me. Um, being able to say hi, yes, let's not make that the case, uh, Mr. White Man. Let's try and make this something that whichever color man, whichever color woman, young, old, you name it, can play, can be involved. Of course, I'm going to love that. I think that's just right. That's what we're supposed to do in life. Be all inclusive. Would say that I don't know if the dollar aspect is the big barrier to entry for all. Uh, I mean, there are plenty of successful people of color. There are plenty of successful people of all kinds. Racing as a whole being something that folks are truly interested in supporting or even know about. Uh, I mean, there's we come back to kind of the same old, same old, and this is nothing new. We're talking been going on forever and ever and ever and ever. It's been motor racing has been a bit of a niche sport for a while, especially open wheel racing. It's been decades since it was somewhat popular on a general level and national level. Um, what you mentioned here, I think, is fantastic because it pushes away any of the, have you heard about it? Did your grandpa like it or grandma like it? And did she pass it down to your mom or dad? And they passed it down to you, right? I mean, I love racing because my dad loved racing. I am involved in racing because my father was involved in racing. He was a race car mechanic in his early 20s. I, by chance, got a start in my mid-teens, but I was a race car mechanic. I mean, it's truly, like, if my dad was an accountant, I probably wouldn't be doing this show. I'd probably be working on someone's taxes right now. So there's that aspect. It is not something where you turn on your television the average day or night during the week and find this sport on television. Definitely find it during the weekends. That's another, you know, it's another thing to consider. Right now we've got football going, right? So we got Monday night football, Thursday night football. Coming up now we've got some Saturday football and Sunday. I know football's most often regarded as a Sunday product. I'm just saying that if you have a craving for it or you want to step down to college ball, Boy, it's all over the place. You almost can't get away from it. Basketball, same thing. Uh, games every night of the week. Baseball, every day, every you name it. Motor racing, yeah, we kind of just do this on one or two days of the week, maybe three days out of the week. But you know, again, just saying, exposure-wise, we don't have as many of them. I'm talking IndyCar, right? If we add all them together, you could say sure. But 162 baseball games, 82 basketball i know there's only 16 17 weeks now 18 weeks of nfl but point being is exposure is just the thing so anything like this uh i love the idea of it i don't know how it gets implemented hopefully one of the things we do with this show is put questions out and maybe folks respond with some ideas how do we get more Middle school, high school, kids, all colors, all everythings. Uh, how do we maybe get sim racing into uh, into their lives, into their worlds, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. 
That's my question mark. I hope some of you have answers and I appreciate your uh, submission here. G man, 1647. Um, another first time submitter fragility version three from Reddit. Uh, your question is one of the ones I'm going to park until next week. Cause I just need a little bit more time to get an answer for you. Uh, our pal JJ Gertler, who often brings humor says, Marshall, what's the over under on the date? Uh, the fancy new Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan facility in Brownsburg. I think I misnamed where it is uh, more than once, and I apologize. I'm not even sure if Brownsburg is accurate. But anyways, uh, comes to be known as the Taj Rahal to have those uh, odds just change because you read this. Um, I would bet <clears throat> Bobby is already calling it the Taj Rahal. And if not, someone tomorrow is going to be receiving an order to engrave that on something large uh, to go over uh, the main door. Ed Joris, a man who frequently asks technical-ish questions and whom I appreciate. Uh, Ed says, if IndyCar, as rumored, has a third manufacturer on the hook, quote, in the late stages, but that manufacturer can't start until the 2024 season, would Honda and Chevy and IndyCar agree to delay the introduction of the turbo hybrid formula? I think I just said hybrid, but I'll... I'll started watching, uh, my wife and I started watching, uh, what, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier last night. And granted, she fell asleep five minutes in, but that's okay. Uh, when she woke up and got up, she said, I think this might be a boy show. Um, Hy- Hydra was in there, so maybe that's why I said hybrid. I don't know. Maybe I just mispronounced it. Uh, the introduction of the turbo hybrid formula. Until 2024, if that was required in order to seal the deal. I've asked things that are similar to this recently, Ed, and was told no. Wasn't specific to a third manufacturer, but just general, could you hold off on making this move for uh, some other valid reasons? And it was told no uh, from two different people who seemed to know what they're talking about. Uh, both those people should be in a story related to that here somewhat soon. Um, third manufacturer, uh, which I wrote about, I think. I'll give myself my, a couple flowers here. think I broke, uh, I don't know, however many months ago that Toyota was taking a hard look here. Um, if there's a third on the hook that isn't Toyota, uh, and, and if we're talking about in late stages, I wouldn't know who it is. Um and if there is someone that is late stages that isn't Toyota and it goes forward, I'll be pissed that I didn't know, but I'll also be happy because that's a great thing for IndyCar. Um, yeah, I think there's some other better reasons to hold for 24, but I'm told it won't happen. Who knows, though? Uh, I don't mean to say this in a negative way. I just say it because it's something that I've observed over many years and found it to be ever-present. And that is, it feels like nothing is ever permanent and final with IndyCar. Um, Feels like there's always a will of the people type thing, where if enough team owners or or the manufacturers or the whomevers um, feel strongly enough about something, even if the series has said, nope, not going to happen, whatever it is, it's just 0% done deal, it never feels to me 
like there's any permanence or finality in anything. So the answer to your question is no, Ed, with a caveat (laughs) that if enough people went back from whatever sector to say, hold until 24, um, I believe IndyCar would. Where are we going to go next? Uh, Our pal James Bethay. Hey, Merry Christmas. Merry everything to your, uh, you and your amazing wife and beautiful son. Uh, James says the new Galmer G92 Chevrolet Weekend IndyCar logo is fire, 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 fire. Uh, As usual, Mr. Roger Warwick. So I totally agree. Uh, One of the things that I'm, I guess I am good at James, but I don't like it. And I feel uh, I bristle the whole time. I've had that graphic for like two or three weeks sitting on my hard drive, just waiting for the first episode of the new year and wanted to show it to y'all and would see it almost on a daily basis and be like, man, Roger's kicking butt. Uh, He did exactly what I asked for with the graphic and uh, even came up with, uh, if, if you noticed, uh, came up with a couple little grace notes. One of them being, uh, hey, so this is from 1992. So let's dress Pruitt up in 92 era grunge-ish clothes. So that's why I have the torn jeans and uh, I guess still wearing the, the, the plaid-ish type shirt. But also you'll notice that there's a, a Pearl Jam t-shirt uh, beneath that. So that was his first choice. He asked me if I uh, should stay with that or change to something different. And I told him back in 92, I would have been way more of a Rollins band guy than Pearl Jam. But since Rollins band is kind of obscure by comparison, uh, and Henry Rollins definitely obscure compared to Eddie Veteran such, we will just go with uh, what I think the masses would prefer, and that would be Pearl Jam. And for those of you who are like, hey, my grandpa listened to Pearl Jam, you can go to you nowhere. Um, thanks for the note there, James. Uh, let's see. Brian Burrell on the topic here says, love the design with little Al's Galmer. Just finished his book and wow, it is very raw and hit hard for someone who used to idolize Al Jr. Can't imagine what might have been. Says I gained greater appreciation for Rick Gallus as well. Amazing. He built the Galmer chassis out of his own pocket one Indy and I believe two other races in 92 and then got scrapped. I'll just stop here for a quick second, Brian. Yeah. Uh, that book that Al did with my pal, Jade Gers, I'm forgetting the title of it and I apologize, but, uh, Google it, buy it, uh, download it, do whatever you need to get it. It's a very good read. Very, very good read. Um, then continues on here. Brian says, uh, so, is that Galmer chassis uh, the best one-and-done uh, season for a chassis? He says, why didn't anyone tr- decide to buy it? He says, I know Michael was running away with Indy uh, that year, but the Galmer still won. And also mentioned Danny Sullivan won at Long Beach, so obviously it was adaptable. Yeah. I would suggest one thing maybe stood in the way of folks wanting to take that on. Uh, and the chassis did continue. I'm trying to remember. I think Dominic Dobson drove uh, one in 93. Um, I know Zach Brown 
uh, CEO of McLaren Racing and uh, Air McLaren SP owns. I, I think it's Little Owls. I, I could be wrong. I'm not sure if it's Little Owls Indy 500 winning Galmer. I don't know if it was one of if it was one of Danny Sullivan's Molson sponsored cars. But anyways, uh, Zach owns one. It's being restored. Um, I would just drawing from my own memory. Maybe go back to the uh, the scenario some of you might remember when uh, the True Sports team, based out of Hilliard, Ohio, uh, decided to go it alone themselves in 91. The True Sports 91 chassis, powered by a Judd V8, probably the least favorable engine, but the chassis was sublime. Um, then come 92... When they got a hold of the prized Chevrolet, I think it was the A spec engine. I mean, it was, if you didn't have a Chevy A, you weren't winning races, basically. Um, I take that back. The Lola that year was really good uh, with Cosworth, uh, Ford Cosworth power. Um, but that Chevy still was a super prized piece of engine machinery. The chassis, however, was not great and so where there was full belief that oh my goodness if you look how good the 91 chassis was with the least favorite engine imagine what could happen with a chevy the next year new chassis uh scott pruitt its driver told me that it was just super flexible it was just flexi flyer and that does not make a car good so i do recall there being a little bit of trepidation a um, little bit of trepidation obviously when you saw bobby rahal carl hogan take over the uh, true sports team and initially continue the uh the true sports chassis program uh, that did not go well they went away from it as quickly as they could but just recall a little bit of that brian i know this is a little more esoteric answer than a specific one but I just recall folks seeing some of the issues that uh, the true sports folks had in 92, trying to do their own kind of one-off, not necessarily one-off, but, you know, we're the only ones running at type chassis. Um, on the Galmer side, uh, I'm trying to remember as well, I don't know if I recall the car being amazing on road courses. I think it's downforce capabilities in uh, street racing trim was pretty darn impressive. The Speedway, as you mentioned, Michael Andretti, that slimline uh, Lola uh, and its Ford Cosworth were just, you know, pretty incredible. But on a uh, on a very cold, uh, bitterly cold day, um, something where grip was lacking, car like the Galmer that was making maybe a little bit more downforce. Uh, than the others that actually would have been a bit of a benefit uh, so in a scenario where it's crazy frigid tire temps everything else was down um, and then having the runaway car stop running away uh, it did indeed favor the next up so i think if you throw all those things together brian you might get the reason why it wasn't something that Many others were trying to jump in to take over. Mentioned uh, Alan Mertens, its designer in the open. He and I are meant to do uh, another podcast talking about that car. So hopefully we can get a, uh, if there are some specifics in there that I have uh, 
missed or that he would maybe know a little bit better since he indeed was on the, uh, not only the design, but the entire company, right? This is coming out of uh, Galmer Engineering, a dedicated uh, facility in the UK that he was leading. Um, maybe Alan can give us a few more details there. Dan Tenoff, you say, Happy New Year, Pruitts. Thanks, Dan. Right back at you. With Jimmy Johnson's recent announcement that he's doing both the 2022 Oval Races and IndyCar and IMSA Enduros, is this leading to a bigger fact that Texas being the same week in a Sebring will not be as much of a deterrence to drivers to do both as we originally thought it would? I would say there's no linkage between this whatsoever, Dan. Uh, if we look at Jimmy, alluded to a little bit earlier, you know, he's what, 40, or, I don't know, mid-40s, right? He knows he doesn't have a lot of years left to keep doing this. Uh, I would say that that's maybe the overarching takeaway here. Uh, being able to continue doing his IMSA Enduro schedule with sponsors that he is directly responsible for making happen with the team, um, then obviously being directly responsible for the sponsors that are making a full season of IndyCar possible. Uh, he's going to have to be one of the guys to uh, suck it up and do lots of flying back and forth. Uh, I would say the, <clears throat> the elective angle is one for an IndyCar team with full-time driver who might be driving for someone else at Sebring. And that IndyCar team saying, eh, let's say you don't. Um, if we think about Ganassi, knowing that they're playing in both paddocks, if we think about who else? Not yet Penske. Um, there aren't a ton of scenarios here where there's going to be <clears throat> IndyCar teams also running big teams at Sebring or any of the other major Enduros. So this is going to be something where if Chip says, hey, Scott Dixon, you're doing all the Enduros again, then Scott Dixon will be flying back and forth. We know that a number, uh, I think just about, what, every? Except for Canon, their four full-time IndyCar drivers will be competing at Daytona. Jimmy, obviously, with uh, the Action Express team, but the other three will all be in Chip's Cadillacs. Will that continue at Sebring? Uh, I don't know. We'll find out. Um, granted, Texas is only the second race of the year. I would say that if it was in its place as, you know, the fourth, fifth, or sixth, and one of those IndyCar drivers was leading the championship or similar, could I see Chip saying, hey, we're not going to take any risks? Uh, you're not doing it? Possibly. The fact that it's the second race on the IndyCar calendar, also by chance second on the IMSA calendar. I don't know if that kind of concern would factor in. Paul Haluska. Uh, you say, MP, your article in the life of Carl Horton, who's the founder of the Horton Safety Team. It's got me thinking about the safety team. Made me start reading Dr. Steve Olvey's book again. Makes me wonder, how does today's safety team stack up against the, uh, the cart-era Horton Safety Team? Uh, or the Simple Green Safety Team, I think Champ Car era. It says, I'm not looking to disrespect any of the members of the safety team, looking more toward the equipment available to them, etc. 
For example, does Simona de Silvestro's uh, lose a tub to a fire uh, during Kart's heyday? Uh, seems there were more vehicles and faster response times. Is that accurate? I have no idea, Paul. <laughs> These are the kinds of things where it's like, I'd love to give you an educated answer. And in the absence of an educated answer, I'm going to avoid giving you an uneducated answer. I would need a spreadsheet with response times from the cart era, champ cart era, modern NTT IndyCar series era to then compare and contrast and come to a conclusion. So I couldn't tell you. Um, I can tell you that watching today's NTT IndyCar series safety team, I struggle to think of many scenarios where whether it's yours truly or other folks have been screaming mad at where are the emergency trucks? Where's the fire abatement? Where's the this, that, and the other? Not saying it never happens. I'm just saying, boy, if it happens once or twice a year where it feels like, boy, this is taking a little bit longer than it should, it feels like that's about right. Um, I think it'd be silly to expect during your average cart season or champ car season for there to be zero of those instances. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, by the numbers, it happens so rarely as I have observed it these days that we would have to be talking about miracle workers for cart or champ car era safety teams to be operating at a significantly higher, faster, you name it type level. So to give you real hard numbers, I'd need the numbers. But part of me wonders if a little bit of this is rose colored glasses type thing, Paul. Um, I don't know, man. I just know that deficiency isn't something that I attach really in any way to any of these eras from today's to the original. Uh, and maybe that's the best part of all. Daniel Ingleton, you've got a question. That's another one I'm tabling for next week. Thank you for sending it though. Uh, your second question, um, says happy new year, racing life of Beth Peretta podcast. We're a fantastic holiday companion. That's awesome. Is there any latest news on the 2022 plans for the Peretta team? Anything beyond an Indy 500 entry? Uh, nothing that I've heard of Daniel posted a update with Beth month ago, six weeks ago. And that's the last piece of news that I have, but, uh, I am due to check in with Beth sometime soon. So as I know, you will know, uh, Arthur Kinney, how you doing Arthur at Arthur on sports on the good old Twitters asks any word on which non full-time entries might run more than just the good old month of May. Well, I think some of this I might have reported before, but I will do a quick look and see if I can come up with anything of real interest here. Uh, I do anticipate, not full-time by any means after May, but at least part-time, I do expect the third Aero McLaren SP machine to get wheeled out. Um, looking down the list here. No, nobody there. Nobody there. Top Gun Racing is about the only other one that I know that has told me that they intend to do more than the Indy 500. Uh, I 
would not be surprised if their season's offerings were really and truly surrounding Indianapolis. We obviously go back uh, in at the end of July and do a road course race there, so that would be after the month of May. If they were to do any more, I'd think it would be stuff probably pretty close to the Midwest, maybe venturing to the South a little bit. Uh, could it be in Nashville? Could it be in Iowa? Again, not totally sure, but um, I hope they're able to uh, to find the money to certainly not only do the month of May, but do more than the month of May. Uh, the Throckmortons, Bill and Stephanie, um, really happy that they are in sole control of that uh, of that operation. And uh, knowing that that's the case, I would say that uh, my optimism is high for what they are, uh, are capable of doing. Let's see. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if I know of any others that I would say are, are really coming in part-time-ish uh, after the month of May. So if I do, though, uh, once again, I certainly will not keep that to myself, I promise. Uh, let's see. You know, we're getting down not too far from the end of the show here, and I like that. I really do. Let's start the year off somewhat light. So I'll try and get through the rest of these as quickly as I can. Jameen Tuttle, Happy New Year, MP. Well, Jameen, Happy New Year year to you as well uh, you ask where's any light schedule seems curious that it hasn't been announced yet anything to be concerned about i am told the answer is no nothing to be concerned about couple of final things to be buttoned up that we're going to keep it uh, from being released until here in the new year uh early in the new year uh, i am aware i believe that all team owners Pretty much everybody who's going to be playing uh, knows where they're going and when it's going to be, but uh, there's still a couple of commercial things that were getting buttoned up uh, by IndyCar before they wanted to push this out. So, yeah, is it this week? Is it next? I don't know, but uh, I would say based on what I was told last month, uh, sorry that it's going to be late. Nothing to be concerned about. It'll be here in early 2022 in January. So, there we go. Uh, EJ at EJ, EWJ2001 on Twitter mentioned in the new batch of Dinner with Racer episodes. There was a story an unnamed source told about you driving an Indy Lights car at Button Willow during a track day, I think. What was the experience like? That unnamed source, Michael Cannon. Darn you, Cannon. Uh, yes, it is true. I did do it. Um, I even brought my camera both video and uh, uh, print with me. Uh, not digital, but uh, regular put old, put film in the camera and go clickety-click and have it exposed and put on paper type camera. Uh, yes, so wasn't a track day. It was a test day. Um, trying to remember which teams were there, but some Indy Lights teams and I think an IndyCar team too that was there. Um, and there were some club racing teams as well. So yeah, just regular test day. Uh, yeah. So I think I've told this before. I'll keep it somewhat brief. Uh, I do still, again, have the video, which I just need to get to and, and bring to the world so you can laugh at me. 
uh, as I deserve, had two drivers, Dave De Silva, whose father owns the second largest construction company in the state. That was at least as of when he was competing in Indy Lights. They built, for example, it's now old and unloved, but they built, for example, the Oakland Coliseum Stadium, where the Oakland, it was a new stadium for the Raiders returning from Los Angeles, also where the Oakland A's play. So Dave's family built that um, and many other things. And his teammate, whose father, longtime semi-well-known IMSA racer John Hotchkiss, uh, beautiful purple Porsche 962. Uh, Mark Hotchkiss um, was our other driver. Uh, Hotchkiss, Mark, sorry. John Hotchkiss, the father, investment banker and financial man. Um, Mark was, say, the, the at least at that stage of their mid-20s lives, Mark was the kind of more open, more friendly type. Dave, a lot more reserved. Um I'll give you another little side story here, just because, hey, bonus nonsense. So in, was it 95, 96? I forget. Uh, with the General Racing Indy Lights team that they drove for, that I worked for, there's a variety of roles, engineering, you name it. Um, the Trois-Rivières Indy Lights event, one of those years, 95, 96, I forget. Uh, they had a pit stop contest. Indy Lights was the top category at the event. And so Mark, for whatever reason, wasn't able to do it. Um, Dave was. And I think it was a case of like Mark was maybe coming in too late to be able to do it. It was like a day or two before the um, uh, things got going at the track. So it was a pretty cool deal somewhere downtown, wherever it was. And, uh, you know, uh, fans lining the street and you name it. And it was, it was kind of a big deal. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, I forget. What did I do? Was I the Jack? I think I was the Jack person on Dave's car. So the thing you had to do, they had to do, it was like us against like the players team with what? Emperingham, maybe Claude Bourbonnet. I don't know. Anyways, uh, whomever their drivers were and a couple others. Uh, I think Canon or, uh, or Elio, uh, the Tasman team. Anyways, it was fun. So kind of not too dissimilar from what you see at the Indy 500 pit stop competition. Cars are backed up 100 feet or whatever from where the pit stop takes place. This The street you're on actually was a little bit of a downhill thing. So uh, a little bit of a, a decline, which wasn't great. But Indy Lights cars didn't have air jacks. Would use kind of a manual jack to do that specialized low profile racing jack. And so... All you had to do was change the front tires, drop the car, and then driver takes off, breaks the timing light, and there you go. You get your time, fastest one wins. So we did whatever, like won the first round. I don't remember how many rounds, whether it was two or three, whatever. Uh, So I would throw, the minute Dave would come to a stop, I'd throw the jack uh, right beneath the leading edge of the floor, um, lift it up, They'd change tires. I'd rip the jack out of the way. Off he'd go. So we like practiced at the shop in East Lansing, Michigan in whenever this was June, July, August. It's hot and humid, like not pleasant, but we actually made an effort here. I forget. I forget. It was like, there was like 600 bucks, I think went to the winner, right? So again, 
not like $600 is a small amount. I'm just saying in racing, like, you know, it's kind of, it's not a big deal. So we were like, hey, this could be fun. Let's try and win it. And yeah, there's some money that comes with it. But, you know, uh, cool, whatever. Um, so we practice, 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 practice. Figure out the best way to do this because you don't do pit stops and indie lights. So again, it's not like none of us had ever done, not like all of us were pit stop novices, just saying this isn't something that was a part of the routine. So we had to figure out best practices. Where do you jack the thing? Do you stand in front? Do you go to the side? Do you get enough leverage? Do we need to jack the ride height up to clear the jack, which I think we had to do? Do you need all the threads on the wheel nut or could we remove like, hey, let's just figure it out. This is something to win, even if it's just for us. So we put in the time and we win. Yay! Big thing at night afterwards i think players was sponsoring this uh whatever so there was some sort of not a banquet but it was some sort of club and go to the club right up the street and you know all the participants and drivers are going to be there and you know regular you know folk come and see and just trying to build interest for the race and so we're there and yeah it's great and again the only people who really care that we want are us no not like people are walking up hey congratulations again it's a bunch of indie lights people doing a little kind of made up pit stop competition, but we were happy with ourselves. I think they did some little like prize giving like, Hey, you won. And Hey, here you go. And bring the driver up to the stage or to the wherever. And, uh, you know, here's the little fake check or whatever it might be. Um, and just laid out, I think the $600 cash. So there were three of us that did the pit stop. It was me, John Ennick, and I think Troy Stevens. And so you know, we're, we're working on like 20 bucks a day per diem. Maybe, maybe it was 25. I don't know. But again, uh, having 20, 25 bucks when you're at home, you can live on that. You know, all the places to go, you know, you know, you're young and not making tons of money. You get by, you're just fine. You know, being in Quebec, uh, you burn through that a little faster. You don't know all the places to go to get all the bargains. So nonetheless, we're thinking, hey, pit stop performers, you were part of winning too. Well, the problem was they gave Dave the cash. And although Dave, who I do care for, he and I didn't always have the best relationship. We recently reconnected. Uh, but he wasn't, unlike Hotchkiss, who was total like, hey, the coolest guy, one of us, like just, right, cool as water. Dave was a little more me, 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 mine, 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 a little less open. And so when Dave got those the $600 in his mind, he won the pit stop competition. Um, and he was part of it. Can't argue it at all. So he was the fourth member. Is I don't know how where your mind's going here, but if you got $600 for winning something and there were four people who took part in this, $150 apiece? I forget what Dave did, but he peeled off like whatever it would have been in Canadian dollars, uh, 40 bucks a piece, 50 bucks, something like that. Um, I was pissed and keep in mind, like I, I'm, I'm just one of the crew. I'm not like the one who did anything special during the pit stop to make us win, but it was just, a really dude 
like you're not getting charged for this, right? You know that there's no extra money coming out of your pocket from the team for this. But since they happen to hand the cash to you, you're breaking us off like peanuts. Like we're, we're, we weren't the ones who did anything here, right? Oh, it pissed me off. And so I know this isn't the question you asked, but I've never really thought to share this before. Maybe it's interesting. Maybe it isn't. Uh, we get to the track the next day and I was bristling all night long. Um, and again, I was definitely like, look, man, I'm just thinking fair. Just be fair. The fact that Dave, you know, exceptionally wealthy as well, that added to it. I got to admit, there was a, huh, like I know what I made at Genoa and it, you know, and I shouldn't say Genoa. I know what those jobs paid at any Indy Lights team. It wasn't a ton. So here you got folks who don't have anything like this in this series where they could potentially stand out as individuals, the crew. This is the one time where the crew could actually stand out and compete individually instead of the driver being the one carrying all the success or whatever else. Here's one time where the, quote, crews from each of these teams could have a little bit of spotlight and win a little something. Right? We didn't get any of the prize money if we want to race. Um, and so what do you do? You look at that as yours. Oh, it pissed me off. So bristled overnight. Uh, we got to the track the following morning, setup day or whatever it was. So it's just, again, us crew. And I was just telling Enik and Troy and what else, like the minute I see De Silva, I'm going straight to that guy and I'm going to tear into him and tell him, you need to keep reaching into your pocket here. And they all like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't. I'm like, no, it's wrong. I don't know if it was wrong. I just felt it was. And all, I don't remember the exact exchange, but I think I was like vibrating. I was so mad because it just seemed so unfair. And so I just went straight at him and I was on Hotchkiss's car, which I think helped right <laughs> but uh right i was on that side of things i'm granted i helped both but i was more on hotchkiss's side um i know this i know that whatever i said and i truly don't remember what it was was so blunt and i think semi-aggressive that where i was hoping dave would feel kind of embarrassed it made him turn red with anger so mad that he took he peeled like i don't know a hundred dollars or maybe two and i wasn't just trying to get the money for myself right i mean i'm truly trying to like get this distributed equally and fairly and you name it whatever it was i think he broke like a hundred dollars off and was so mad that he said and don't you ever come back to me asking for more money and i was i was I don't remember what I said to him. I couldn't exactly tell him to F off because the guy's paying $1.1 million for the season to run Indy Lights with us and did win a race and it was pretty competitive. Uh, but it was just one of those things where, and maybe this is a little sensitivity to reveal, you come up doing this, you work for prep shops, you work for, you know, you work your way up. It's quite often you're often in scenarios where you are the day laborer 
or in a similar role. You're the gardener. You are the painter. You are the carpenter. You are the whatever to deliver a service. In most cases, it's for people who are fairly wealthy. You are kind of meant to just be in the background, a little bit nameless, a little bit faceless. You're just there to facilitate this person's high ambitions, in this case, in motor racing. And so it could be on the club racing level. It could be on whatever level. It's just kind of a thing. And so I think what this tickled within me the wrong way is that, hey, we're at the top step of the open wheel ladder. Like we are truly one step away from IndyCar. Genoa team, which had been in the cart IndyCar series before, we went back the next year, wasn't cart, went to the Indy Racing League. So just know that one year after this, effectively all the same people are running IndyCar. Um, it just struck me as this breaking off a 20 for your housekeeper uh, uh, at Christmas kind of thing. I don't know if that was Dave's mindset. I haven't seen him in forever to much less ask him in person, but I can tell you that it ticked everything inside of me that said, nope, this ain't going down. And I don't care if I piss off our client and he hates me and whatever else, but like, really, dude, you're trying to pocket pretty much all the money for the one thing your crew members get to do. That's kind of about them getting to compete and achieve one-on-one with other crews. So to answer your question, EJ, uh, our man, Michael Cannon was referring to the day after the 1996 Indy lights and IndyCar season finale cart IndyCar season finale at Laguna Seca. Uh, we had both cars in the transporter, the one owned by Dave and the one owned by Mark, uh, Mark, said, hey, I want to thank you all for everything you've done for me this year. I think this was his, was it his second year with us? First or second? I forget. Um, I have rented, bought into the the track day, whatever you want to call it, at Button Willow tomorrow. It's about a four-ish, three, four-hour drive south from Laguna Seca. Um, Treating all of you uh, to driving my Indy Lights car. There's a new Indy Lights model coming in 97. So this 96 is actually a 93, but this chassis across the entire series was being mothballed at the end of the year. So Mark, being Mark, said, this is how I want to thank all of you, and we're going to go do this, and I'm going to pay for it. Um, for reasons I don't know, and again, I'll ask him when I see him, Dave was not particularly interested in doing the same. So we towed down to Button Willow. Dave's car stayed inside. Mark's car got wheeled out. And Mark, because he is Mark, did not draw a line between, oh, well, I'm going to let my crew test my car, drive my car. He said everybody. He actually said he felt bad for those on Mark's crew because... Mark had rented the track. All his teammate had to do was say, yep, uh, you can drive mine too, and probably would have got twice as much track time. Instead, we funneled everybody through Mark's car. 
uh, Rick, I forget his name, who was the head of Pi Research at the time, uh, came down and he drove. And there were a couple of Mark's buddies who drove. And our truck driver drove, Neil, who stuffed it into the, the gravel two times in a row, three times in a row in his outlap, leading us to have to clean out the car multiple times. So he basically didn't get a run. Um, and I think they saved me towards the end. So while I am unfortunately too oversized for what I should be right now, I was decidedly smaller back then, but still fairly broad shouldered, wide hipped person. And no amount of diet was going to change that. And so with a Indy Lights car built for folks who are certainly skinnier in the hips and narrower in the shoulders than I am, I didn't fit. There were carbon panels that bolted, I don't know, uh, they were maybe, I'm misremembering, I'm sure, maybe six inches tall, maybe a little bit more, uh, that bolted inside uh, the, the cockpit. And so those were, if you kind of think of sitting in an office chair, those were, granted, you wouldn't be resting your arms on them, but uh, kind of snuggled you in like that. And so that would keep the driver's torso and hips and whatever kind of locked in place between those kind of risers. And then above that, you know, uh, would be free space, within the seat for it to expand and for the driver's ribs and shoulders to fit beneath the obvious bottom of the aperture, the opening of the tub. Well, let's just say that uh, from a hip standpoint, everybody else was able to slot right down into that little narrowed space, and I was not. And so I think we could have taken the time to unbolt those and take those out there's still stuff beneath them, wiring and cables and shift linkage and all kinds of stuff that I don't know if you really would have wanted to be sitting on top of those uh, or yeah. So what it came down to was, all right, um, you're just going to have to sit where you can sit. And knowing that my butt was six inches off the bottom of the car, sitting on top of these little extensions, uh, well, that certainly put my shoulders outside the top of the car. <laughs> That's why I reference this as being looking like a grizzly riding a tricycle. So because my backside was elevated off the bottom of the car, uh, that then moved my whole torso up and there was no way for me to put my shoulders again below the opening of the chassis. Um, one of the not benefits of being broad shouldered. So that also caused another problem. And that is, well, if you can't sit down into the well where you're supposed to, with your butt truly on the floor, you can't really put the seatbelts around you. And because your shoulders are out of the car, you can't really run the shoulder harnesses up over you and down. Cause they're not long enough. Um, you're going to have to go do a couple laps here, Pruitt. Uh, holding yourself in place, try not to fall out of the car. And so that's indeed what I did. Uh, and so I have video evidence of this 
it is amusing. It is very amusing. I did spin the car, which everyone said before I pulled out, like, hey, if you spin this thing, you're done. And I'm like, I, I understand, you know, we're like, I don't want to scare anybody. Uh, so I think I did two laps. I, I, I'm forgetting. I don't know if I did two or three laps. I did a couple laps. Um, gave it pretty good, pretty good go. Uh, one of the issues of sitting up, uh, even though I think my upper body is longer than my lower body. Uh, one of the issues of sitting that high was not being able to sit down and then scoop my butt forward like you're supposed to. And so I don't know how much throttle I got. I know that I wasn't able to get all the throttle. I think a lot, but not a hundred percent, um, was able to get to the brake pedal. So that was good. Um, I don't remember if I used the clutch for more than pulling away. I Again, I don't. I think I might have shifted without it uh, most of the time, but was able to give it a couple laps, and you know, at least in a straight line, got going. Now, again, I'm sitting up out of the car, shoulders exposed, having to reach my arms down into the tub to turn the steering wheel. So that's a little bit weird. Um, I've got my head, and I got my helmet on, obviously, but my head's like sitting way up in the breeze. Uh, I'm having to use the steering wheel to hold my upper body in place under braking. Um, I guess I kind of got my shoulder rib, something wedged into the tub. So I think I was okay in terms of lateral movement. Um, I don't recall if my head was snapping back, hitting anything while upshifting probably, but it just was ridiculous. And it was a blast. I was, now I'd raced before. Right, raced Formula Fords and a little bit of sedan-ish type stuff. So, you know, familiar with race cars, racing, you name it, uh, done it, was okay at it. Um, but this was obviously the coolest, fastest thing I'd had a chance to drive, just not drive properly. And so I at least wanted to get a feel for it. And so I did in a couple areas. There are some segments where it's like I people could get out and run faster, but whatever. Um, and then one section where I think I just charged it too hard since I wasn't really sitting in the car and I got to admit, I couldn't really feel a whole lot of what was going on. I think I might've caught one or two little slides, but they were really obvious. Um, charge way too hard into one corner, uh, brake too late was offline, turned the steering wheel way too much and then gave it too much power. Kind of the classic, like you idiot mistake racing 101 driver school type mistake did all the exact wrong things way too much angle on the steering wheel then too much power and looped the thing into the dirt uh didn't get hurt no issues no whatever else i don't think i really messed up the car too much from rocks and the side pods and whatnot but uh was able to fire up or if i stalled it i don't remember but was able to pull away and come back all i know is that looking at the video that i think tom knapp um shot whomever it was that shot it folks are actually cheering a little bit because they couldn't they were surprised that my big monkey behind was able to do that so it was just a lot of fun so uh yeah michael cannon told that story and you got an extra one of a little bit of of crew uh uh single crew it was just me revolt against a uh, a wealthy driver trying to pocket money from the crew winning a pit stop competition come on man all right, uh, let's get to our last couple of items, and then we will uh, say farewell. Uh, Mark DiCarlo says, Happy New Year, dude. Hoping the year brings you and your family all the happiness and health y'all deserve. 
appreciate that, Mark. I really do. 2021 just took seemingly almost everything out of me. And I know my wife as well. So I'm with you. Um, I can't expect 2022 to be free of problems, uh, free of loss, but just, yeah, not as punishing as it was. So I'm with you. Thank you for the kind note. Uh, let's see. Ameros. Uh, at Ameros from Twitter, I think. First time submitter. Uh, he says, I was watching the entirety of the 2011 season. Sad me to learn Newman Haas collapsed. After season's end, despite promising results, why did a team with such rich history in car and champ car and other champ car teams after the reunion collapse? That's a really long answer. If we want to get into all the reasons all the teams fell through that did, uh, would just say the main one here that I recall with Newman Haas was money. Uh, we had, I believe the Haases still contributing uh, to things a bit in 2011 at Oriel Servia and James Hinchcliffe uh, as their drivers with Hinch, I think missing round one, one or two round one, whatever it was. Um, then putting together sponsorship to be able to come in from there as an IndyCar rookie. Just don't recall money being there to cover enough of the racing that they wanted for 2012. I think at that point, knowing that it had been a little bit of a hard struggle, um, I think there was just a general sense of like, okay, this is not trending upward. And knowing, as you mentioned, such a rich team, so much success, having to do the scraping by and taking, you know, with Hinch going on to Andretti, uh, Oriole, what was it? Panther? I forget where Oriole went. Um, but having to just truly seek out ride buyers to keep going. Uh, not saying that Newman Haas never had folks who brought money, but for the most part, you know, the majority of their drivers were distinguished. Either champions, championship caliber, race winning potential. Um, they're not having those options jump out right after uh, the end of 2011. I could see why the allure of continuing just chasing dollars to keep going would have uh, maybe blighted uh, their Mr. and Mrs. Haas's enthusiasm. Don Gregory said, you've been watching a documentary on Porsche's launch into cart back in 1987 with the late Alan senior. So what do you recall were his thoughts on this new fledging program and this relationship with Holbert? Well, got to admit, Don, I don't, really recall his thoughts because I would have been like 16 at the time and just starting out as a racing mechanic. So, uh, I am positive I could go back and read a bunch uh, and I may have, and just forgotten about this, but yeah, th this might be a little more of a, what kind of research can you find topic Don? Um, since I'm unable to give you my recollections of Alan Sir Sr.'s initial, because he only did, what, the last race or two, um, and then was not part of the program after that. So if we're just talking strictly 87, this isn't specific to Alan Sir Sr., this was the Porsche-built chassis, which wasn't bad, but certainly wasn't, quote, cutting edge to a Lola or March. Uh, the engine, 
always known to be very good. Uh, but yeah, uh, I know that Mr. Unser senior was viewed as a very trusted pair of hands, someone who could offer some great insights. Uh, although again, it's not coming to mind as reading specific quotes about that. I can guarantee you that was part of the thought process here, but would also say he wasn't part of the program for super, super long. So um, there you go. We move on to Ameros again. So get down to what? Just the last couple. Uh, could it be said, despite his great talent and performances throughout his Penske stint, the fact that Will Power has only one IndyCar title and one Indy 500 win a bit uh, underachieving? despite power being arguably a top three driver in the night in the 2010s also says sending wishes to you and your family as well and wishing you a great 2022 with positive vibes all the way around thank you ameros uh yeah 100 percent uh said the same spoken to will about this many times um my friend david malsher did a great book with william power autobiography of sorts um, there is definitely a book or at least a deep chapter in a book in the future to be done about will and trying to understand all of the reasons why uh, he has not and i say has not because he's still competing still trying to win indy 500s and a second title why will is not a three or four time IndyCar champion. Indy 500's a little more flukish, right? I, I don't... The fact that he's won one is amazing. You know, I wouldn't level criticisms at Scott Dixon for being a one-time uh, Indy 500 winner, for example. Um, I mean, he should be multiple times, but the fact that he's not, I don't really put that on him. Uh, so I don't so much look at the 500 thing as a real filter. I look at the championship side as the filter that does not make a lot of sense and i think again is deserving of deep introspection because if you look at his finishing record if you look at where he was championship wise when he got to uh his first full season with penske how's this and i just pulled it up to, to help boost my memory excluding 2021 Every single full season, Will Powers has spent with Team Penske from 2010 through 2020. He's finished fifth or better in the championship. Uh, he has, what, two third places and four seconds. You might look at that and go, well, that's just insane consistency. And there's no real negatives to lay in there in terms of his ability to win his ability to do many many impressive things obviously in terms of pole positions you know the guy could very well become the all-time leader in that category say it's just the championship winning consistency that will has flirted with but only captured once while Dario was active full-time, now granted, I realized Dario ran through the 2013 season, but um, 
if you look at all the championships that Dario earned uh, with Will as his top protagonist, uh, boy, there is really something there to be learned. There is really something serious uh, to understand. I realize that you know, if you look at the Drivers' Championship that went to Ryan hunter Ray in 2012, um, not Dario, but if you look at 2011, 2010, you know, he and Dario had some, you know, seriously amazing battles. There's always something that Will did. It's often a mistake that took him out of true title winning form. And what's strange to me is he's been able to flirt with that many times leading up to his 2014 title and flirt with it a few times after, right? Finished third the following year, second the year after that. It's been fifth three times from 2017 through 2020. Uh, was third in 2018, which is great. I just you know, I don't really recall him being super in the mix once we got down to uh, the, the final races or a couple races. But last year was just one that makes you wonder. There, there were some errors in there. Certainly some misfortune that was not of his making in there, but he finished ninth. It's always a concern, right? Someone who's been doing something with you for a long time. And if you look at the gradient, uh, the gradient's getting tougher. Fifth place, third, fifth, fifth, ninth not trending in the direction that you would want for hashtag me personally i go into this new season expecting will to win a couple of polls win a race maybe two but i'm not geared mentally for anything more than that until he demonstrates evidence of that so just waiting to see. Just waiting to see if and what is there. If he can get back to that top three type performance, I think Will might get a new contract. If it's another ninth or if it's seventh, sixth, fifth, something other than, hey man, um, you're putting us in a competitive position almost everywhere we go because that's who he was forever didn't necessarily have that last year. Uh, if he can get back to that, despite age now becoming a factor, I think he might get at least another contract, one more year. I mean, he'll be 41 right after we start the season. Um, but it's definitely up to him to prove that he can be consistent. Keep in mind, consistent for Roger Penske isn't finishing fifth. It's first, second, or third. First, really, is all that he cares about. But first, second, or third. Um, so I don't know if there are any more championships in his future. I would love to see it for him. I think that'd be great. Uh, I would be sad for him, Ameros, if he were to retire with a single championship. He is a guy, as I said, who should have three, maybe four. 
I do hope, I really do hope this upcoming season is one where we get to see the old willpower where he made you worry about him everywhere we win. Not just in practice, not just in qualifying, but in all the races. If that doesn't happen, I'm going to be really bummed because I don't know if he gets an invitation um, to keep. Actually, I take that back. I think he's got two more years on his contract. Well, I'm sorry. We're now in 2022. I think his contract goes through 23. I could be wrong. Uh, It's getting to the end of the show. Don't hold any of this as firm. I apologize. Regardless, um, he's one of the folks who is really needing a solid 2022. I can tell you that uh, because without it, Things are going to get complicated. Uh, Daniel Summerskill. How you doing, pal? Says MP with the new hybrid power units coming next year. Is IndyCar worried that the increase in full season entries may fall due to the increased costs? The new engine uh, will no doubt bring. Uh, says and will or can IndyCar do anything to help teams to keep the number of entries up? Other than increasing the leader circle payout, Daniel? And that would only be for the top 22 right now, which in theory could leave three, maybe four, who knows, more entries uh, out of that million-ish dollar stipend. Um, Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much they could do there. I'm going to take a quick look at the entry list and just try and see what we're staring at here. Um... I would think Foyt would be staying at two cars. They're a team, though, that I really do want to hear about solid, longer-term financial security happening. They're one that worries me. Um, They worried me last year. They're worrying me again coming into 2022. Uh, Andretti Sport. I would expect them to be at four cars. I believe they have contracts for all the drivers that extend beyond 2022, so that's a bit of a... uh, no-brainer there. Air McLaren SP is not worrying about money, so yeah, would expect all three uh, chassis, would expect all three to be there full-time. Chip Ganassi Racing, uh, we spoke about the wanting to make sure that they have a, a good continuation plan with a 48 car, assuming Jimmy doesn't come back for another full-time. Um, I think they will be, I don't think there's going to be any issue in all four of those full-timers continuing. Uh, coin, Got to assume that he will be doing two full-time cars there. I know that the deal with David Malukas and the HMD is a multi-year. That tells us David will be driving for them multiple years. Therefore, they would need to continue with that. I would hope the deal with Takuma, Rick Ware Racing, whether it's Takuma or not, I don't know, but I would hope that would continue. So I'll just kind of say I expect Coin to remain at two cars. Same with Ed Carpenter. Uh, Ed when I asked him last year, said he has no desire or intention to stop racing anytime soon. Assuming that stays the case, I would imagine that we will see himself and someone else in a car. Renus, I assume, I apologize. I'm forgetting the length of his contract there, but uh, assume that Renus or similar would be in one of, uh, in the 21 car. Hunko's hauling or racing. I would think the same thing. Uh, they've bought in all this equipment knowing that a uh, new hybrid engine's coming that will go directly into the current Delara. So everything should be just fine there. Will they expand to two cars in 23? I don't know. Shank, 
definitely planning to be two cars, maybe even three. Uh, Ray Holiday and Lanigan, three cars, uh, and I can't imagine any of those drivers are on one-year contracts, and they could fall back to two. And Penske's at three. I don't anticipate that number being lower than three. So at least looking at things right now, Daniel, I don't foresee any real losses to what we have. See, last thing we have here, I think, Jamie Rowe. How you doing, Jamie? You're asking for a couple of updates. Nothing that I'm ready to put in the show since I haven't put them in print first. Jason Hatfield, you're asking for a driver update. I still got to talk to that driver to get an update. Graham Wilson, you're asking for another update. Um, again, uh, some of these things work-wise, I got to get uh, in print first before I can put them in the show. Jonathan Ireland, you're asking who I think might be the third Air McLaren SP driver. Uh, yet another thing to put into an update, upcoming update. Ed Walk, no clue if there are any NASCAR drivers truly looking to do crossover IndyCar events. Um, it's just not something I stay on top of, my friend. Uh, Ian Keyworth, curious if there are any video game updates on the IndyCar video game. None, but I will try and remember to ask. Ryan Terpstra, you're asking if uh, what's the dumbest mailbag question you've received that didn't uh, go to print uh, besides something you've submitted. I don't know because I actually don't assemble the mailbag questions. So I apologize there. Uh, Tracy and Chris Ward, you've got questions about Peacock, Track Pass, no commercials and whatnot. Um, I sent that through to a friend of mine at uh, NBC, and I just sent it later today. So I'll uh, add yours to the uh, questions that are being carried over the next week in the anticipation that I get an answer. And our pal Right Turn Lover asking for some details on IndyCar's upcoming energy recovery system uh, or LED panels. <laughs> no on both. Uh, nothing that I'm ready to offer here. Um, so I apologize. A lot of failing. Uh, so the final questions here. Uh, the final question goes to our pal John Wojnar. Uh, who I refer to as John Ranjow, because it took me a long time to figure out how to pronounce his last name. He and his girlfriend, Trinity, they done got engaged. John is uh, one of the leaders of the Prude group. Uh, and so being a Michigander and someone who volunteers each year at the Detroit Grand Prix, John has asked a question that I've moved to be the final of this episode. So this is very important. Recently got engaged, and we're shooting for a June 2023 wedding. Problem is, there's a solid chance that the wedding will fall on the date of the Detroit Grand Prix. How do I convince my lovely bride to be married in the Detroit IndyCar paddock? It says, best wishes to you and the family. Thank you, John Ranjo. Okay, couple things. So when he says June 23, he's referring to the Detroit Grand Prix moving from Belle Isle to downtown. If it were still in Belle Isle, I would say that might actually be a pretty thing uh, at the big water fountain. Uh, since it's not, so here's the thing that a guy who's been with his wife for next year will be 20 years we've been together, and we've been married 16, I think. So, yeah. So let me give you a little bit of matrimonial advice, Mr. Ranjow, to close the show. Uh, you say there's a solid chance the wedding will fall on the date of the Detroit Grand Prix. Uh, you and your lovely bride-to-be can indeed decide to have it not fall on the date of the future Detroit Grand Prix. So do that. 
Uh, <laughs> here's some advice from a guy who's the majority of his life has been dedicated to motor racing and who decided to stop working full time in racing on the crew side because he was tired of never being able to have a long-term relationship or a dog or cat or anything because racing was all consuming and who was then fortunate having stepped away for a couple of years to then indeed find uh, the amazing Chabrel Pruitt and uh, who then has allowed and encouraged me to do this new career in media, which actually has me traveling more than I ever did back in the day. Um, she is a rarity since you two are young we got married what i was 32 33 whatever it was but you know older than you two i would just say this she knows you love racing she knows that you participate in this podcast she knows that you're one of the leaders of the prude she knows that you volunteer at the detroit grand prix she knows that you watch racing that you sim race you do all kinds of stuff that is awesome unless she asks you to be married at a motor racing circuit. I beg of you, dear John, and I would hope the men and women who are married, who are listening are all saying the same things out loud. Unless she asks and not asks because she knows it would be something you like, but unless she asks with real excitement and light in her eyes, she wants to be married downtown streets of Detroit at a motor race. Do not make that her wedding memory and wedding story for the rest of her life. Um, Michigan has some very beautiful places. It could be a Uper wedding. Uh, you could go, I don't know. I guess it'd still be legal drive across bridge to windsor go to canada go to all kinds of places um unless motor racing is what brought you together and this is the thing that is your thing as a couple i'm just saying my friend uh my wife went to many motor races with me she went to the indy 500 with me in may when i was running a indy lights slash what we would uh, what we now call indy lights back then infinity pro series team um, did that in May of 2015, 2005. We got married in November of 2005. Did many things in 2005 that involved her going to motor races, going to the 25 hours of Thunder Hill that year and other, like she really did some serious heavy going all in with you on this racing stuff, but racing wasn't hers. Um, while in Hawaii, I was getting up early every morning to do calls with, mechanics team owner you name it with a 25 hours of thunder hill program i was putting together brand new and it still pisses her off to this day that although i was thousands of miles away not actually seeing the car touching the car doing anything with the car this is pre-facetime and like you know pre-phones that did real images and that kind of like truly it's just telephone calls while she was asleep it still pissed her off to no end that at during our wedding event and trip, I was on the phone doing racing related things. Only in recent years has that stopped being mentioned as a bone of contention. I'm just sharing with you, my brother. 
Uh, I don't know what date Detroit's going to be in 2023. I could probably find out exactly. It may already be out there. I don't know. Um, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Where does she want to go? Um, and I'm not saying this in some old like, oh, it's, it's the weddings are for women and this is a for No, I'm saying like my wife and I took our wedding very seriously. It was ours. It was a united decision on what we wanted to do because it both meant everything to she and I. And we did that thing that we wanted. That's my point here. Uh, since this is yours, the two of you, um, ask her what she wants. See if that aligns with what you want. And if she says something other than at a racetrack, that's what you want too. So there you go. Friends, thank you. We're at the end of the episode. Don't know who we're going to have as a guest this week. I don't know if I'm going to have a guest this week. I haven't figured that part out yet. Um, do appreciate you. Do appreciate all the questions you sent in. Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, torontomotorsports.com, Marshall Pruitt Podcast site is there. If you didn't know, 1,200 plus back episodes, all the ways you might want to subscribe, I think. I think I need to delete a couple. They might have aged out a little bit. But uh, your Spotify, your iTunes, I think Google Play or whatever they call it's in there too. Um, that's all there for you and a little merchandise page if you have an interest. Whatever you buy, it helps support my wife and I. I think that rhymes. Marshall Pruitt, I'll speak to you all here soon. <laughs>